Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of our podcast India Colonized a podcast where we explore the stories and legends of our colonial past I am your host Umar Haq in this episode we will be narrating to you a story from the account of an eyewitness of the Velo mutiny of 1806 a mutiny of British Indian sepoys that's less known than its predecessor the sepoy mutiny or the Indian war of independence of 1857 join us as we explore the private accounts of lady fancourt written after the mutiny in vellore as she witnessed these horrors Colonel and Lady Fancourt retired to rest at quarter to nine, and at around two at night, both of them were awakened at the same instant. They got out of bed, and Colonel Fancourt went to the window of his dressing room to find out where the loud firing was coming from. He opened the window and called aloud, requesting to know the reason of the disturbance. There came no reply. but a rapid continuance of firing by numberless sepoys assembled at the main guard colonel fancourt went downstairs and about 5 minutes returned to his dressing room he asked his wife to instantly bring him a light and she did so she placed it on the table colonel sat down to write while his wife went on to shut the windows from which he had called out the sepoys fearing some shot might hit him as he sat as they were still firing in all direction about the main guard the colonel looked pale as death lady john asked him what was the matter with him he replied go into your room amelia Emilia did so. She saw his mind so agitated, she did not want to pursue the question further. She heard him leaving the waiting room and later the house in 2 minutes. Between 3 and 4 o'clock, the firing at the main guard ceased and the drum beat. It was Sir John who was trying to quiet the sepoys emilia writes that she heard no more firing for some time it then began again at the european barracks she bolted all the doors in her room brought her children into the room and she fell on her knees and fervently prayed that colonel fancourt's endeavors to restore peace to the garrison might be crowned with success and that his life be spared She then got dressed and twice cautiously opened the hall door and made her way to the other end of the hall to look where the sepoys were firing the most. She heard noises directed towards the European barracks and for the last time she ventured from the room between the hours of 4 and 5. She stood at the end of the hall which was quite open to the veranda. A figure approached her It was so dark that she could only see the red coat illuminated by the light of the firing from the barracks. Dreadfully frightened, expecting to be murdered, and having left her children in the bedroom, she feared that her last hour had come. She somehow masters the courage to ask who was at the door. 
A frightened and puffed voice answered, Madam, I'm an officer. She then asked, Who are you? To which he replied, I am an officer of the main guard. He said that it was a mutiny out there and that every European had already been murdered on guard but himself and that they feared they should all be murdered. Frightened and making no reply, Emilia walked away to her room where her children and her female servants were. The officer went out at the opposite door of the hall. But he never got down, says alive, being butchered most cruelly in Colonel Fancourt's dressing room. Emilia walked into the colonel's writing room and looked through the Venetians on the parade. There she saw soldiers of the 69th Regiment lying dead. Four sepoys were at the moment on the watch at Colonel Marriott's door and several others distributing from the gates of the palace. The natives were not firing. They were unarmed and making a lot of noise. They were at the time of firing on the ramparts and apparently in all parts of the fort, though the main guard and the barracks, everything seemed quiet for a moment. They were then employed in ransacking all the houses, intent upon murder and plunder. At this moment, Emilia gave up all for lost. She opened her dressing room table drawer, took out her husband's miniature, which she tied and hid under her habit, and she determined not to lose it, but in death. She had secured his watch some time before, to a certain the time. She had hardly secured this much valued remembrance of her husband before she heard a noise in the hall adjoining to her bedroom. The noise moved softly to the door. Looking through the keyhole, she discovered two sepoys knocking a chest of drawers to pieces. Struck with horror, knowing the next visit would be to her apartment and to her children and her female servants, all of them who were lying on a mat before the door which opened into a black veranda and which, when the mutiny began, seemed to be the safest place. As shots were fired at the windows, they were forced to move as far as possible from the door. She whispered to her ayah that the sepoys were in the hall and told her to move away from the door. She took the children under the bed and also begged Emilia to go with them. She had no time to reply. Before the door they had moved away from was burst open, terrified Emilia and others got under the bed. Several shots were being fired into the room. Although the door was open, nobody entered. A bullet grazed Lady John while she was under the bed. The children were screaming with terror at the firing. They all thought they were not going to live in the next moment. But willing to make one effort to save her children, she got from a hiding place, fled into a small adjoining room of the back staircase. She opened the window from which she could only see two horse keepers. 
She returned instantly to her bedroom, asked her ayah to pick the little baby while she took Charles and John in her own arms and, opening the door of the back stairs, ran down as quickly as she could. When they got to the bottom, they found several sepoys on guard. At the back of the house, Amelia showed her babies to them, begging them to leave her and her kids alone, offering them everything she had, the ayah hesitantly translating all of this to the sepoys. One of them was kind enough to have them get seated in the stables with the horses, while the others were not happy about it. They did not prevent them going there. In the stable, Emilia told her ayah to hide her husband's watch for her to explain how it was too precious for her. The ayah dug up some earth with her fingers and threw it over the watch and put two or three broken patties upon it. It wasn't five minutes since they had been seated there and they were ordered away by the third sepoy. He asked them to go into a jowl house which had bamboo front to it, which made it quite exposed to the view of the other mutineers till the same man brought an old mat which was being used, placing it before the door to hide themselves. And afterwards, the same sepoy brought Amelia and the little boy half a loaf of bread to satisfy his hunger. They sat there for about three hours in the greatest agony of mind, endeavouring to quiet Charles. Emilia found it impossible to pacify him as he was so alarmed by the constant firing and cried sadly to go out sometimes. Emilia saw the sepoys from between the bamboo front, taking out immense loads of their goods on their back, tied up in the tablecloths and sheets. Keeping her senses through all the horrors of that night and morning, she constantly feared for her husband's life. She writes, I really believe I should have braved death to search for him on the parade had not the situation of my babies withheld me from the rash attempt. The dread of having them murdered in my absence or leaving wretched orphans made me remain in the place of concealment. She anxiously waited for her husband's arrival and the arrival of the 19th dragons from Arkut. The few lines Colonel Fancourt, her husband, wrote in this morning were most likely intended to be for Colonel Clipsy, who was that morning coming to spend a few days with them. But when Colonel Fancourt was able to have the message sent out was something Amelia was ignorant about. Still, however, she hoped news must have reached Colonel Glipsy on the road by some means or the other. Right then, hearing a tremendous firing at the gates strengthened Amelia's hope that the regiment of 19th Dragoons from Arcourt might have arrived. Their house at that moment appeared quite deserted by the sepoys, but suddenly several of them rushed into the compound and called out Amelia and her children to be murdered. Her ayah requested her to go into the farther corner of the jowl house, which she said and did so by taking Charles with her, covering him with her own gown. But Charles could not be pacified. He cried aloud and wouldn't stay quiet. Every instant Amelia writes, she expected that they should all be murdered. 
The firing at the gate now became so strong that the sepoys were obliged to fly to it and once more vacated the house. Emilia and her kids had narrowly escaped death. She was so thirsty that several times she had to drink water out of a dirty chatty and give the same to her kids too. There was noise of the horses of the 19th on the drawbridge and the hosa repeated out aloud immediately after they were heard entering the fort. An officer rode in and called out Amelia by name, but there was no answer. Silence. Again, the officer repeatedly called out her name looking for her. This time too, there was no response. But moments later, Emilia sprung out of hiding after finding officer in red jacket. She thought it was her husband, it was not. It was McLean. She came out, calling for her husband in hopes that he might have survived. Her hopes grew larger when McLean told her that he was still alive. Colonel Clipsy and Mrs. McLean then joined her and both gave her the same assurances. They took her upstairs and got her seated in the chair, giving her some wine and water to drink. When her agitation had reduced, she was told that her husband, Colonel Fancourt, had survived but was wounded, though not dangerously, but was in a lot of pain. They all tried to keep her quiet. But an hour later, the surgeon of the 19th Dragon's Arcoot walked in with his eyes stuck to the floor. He looked up to Emilia and told her that her husband's wound were now cured, but he was still in danger. Emilia grabbed the arms of a chair and sat down. She was still hopeful that her husband might still recover but she could not go and see him, thinking that the sight of her and the kids might agitate him too much. The surgeons told Emilia that the wounds were flesh wounds and that the bullets had not been lodged. Only a few moments later, the nurse came running into the room, still trying to catch her breath. Her face was pale and she saw Lady Fancourt. She informed her and the surgeon that Amelia's husband, Colonel Fancourt, was no more and that he had breathed his last. It was four o'clock of the evening, July 8th, 1806. The horror had lasted 14 hours. Amelia had lost her husband, the kids their father. The Velour Mutiny had now been hammered into suppression. Thank you everyone for tuning into today's podcast. We hope you liked this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to our episode wherever you're listening from to our podcast. Make sure you like our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can find more information being posted on India's colonial history. So stay tuned. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious.